Well, if you'll turn now in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 19. Um, excuse me, one second. We're continuing our short series, uh, four-week series on American idols this morning, uh, exposing the idols in our culture, the things that compete with Christ for our attention, our affections, uh, and our allegiance, things we hold up too highly, things we value too much. And a reminder of why we're doing this series, the reason for the series, is there are things happening around all of us. That, that we notice. There are societal pressures on all of us to just go with the flow, to go along uh, with what collectively as a nation we adopt and prize and say is virtuous and moral and good. And so as Christians in America, we have to be able to recognize all of that and cut through the fluff and think biblically about it. You know, to be able to say, yeah, you know, my, my country and my God really do appear to be at odds with one another. And if I have to choose between my comfort and the cross, I choose the cross every time, no matter what it costs me. And we should expect it to cost us. We should expect it to cost something precious to us, and that something is comfort. That's the next American Idol we're covering this morning. Christians devoting their lives to pursuing comfort over Christ and his commands for generations now has made us soft. We've forgotten what we're supposed to be about. We stopped blazing trails for Christ and his kingdom a long time ago, and it's been so long, and we've gotten so comfortable that we view that kind of activity as extreme or radical. We think that's not what most Christians do or should be about. That's a lie. I believed it. You've believed it. Shame on us. Let's not wallow in our guilt. Let's just agree this morning we're going to not be deceived. Trust and rely upon God to give us clarity on these things, to give us wisdom, to give us discernment. Our verse this morning is uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 11. Read that with me now. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. We're not just talking about wealth and money, right? Wealth and money are not the same thing as comfort, but they're pretty close. We, we, sure, we sure believe they're the same thing as comfort, don't we? We think the more money we have, the more comfort we'll enjoy. That's why we want more of it. And it's about the only thing we'll endure discomfort to get. And so our pursuit of money is really a pursuit of comfort, the comfort we think it will afford us. And not in all cases, right? But our hearts are extremely prone to idolatry. God's word tells us that. Our hearts are always extremely prone to idolatry, and that's why it's worth our time to examine ourselves and see if Christ hasn't taken a back seat to our comforts instead of being the source of them. That's what we're looking at this morning. 
if we found security in the things of the world and not in Christ. Because it's a sneaky thing, idolatry. It is a sneaky little thing. And we love that warm blanket. We want that warm, comfortable blanket, a strong city that can't be broken into. It's a high wall of protection we imagine will insulate us from conflict and from the unexpected. What we're after more than anything today, collectively, as a nation, is comfort. And as we have to recognize that we we belong to a population where people will lie and cheat and murder and steal to get it. That's who we are. This, This is who we are. That's who we are, really, in the eyes of God. A nation of people set on pleasing themselves and trying to get comfortable in a world broken by sin, all the while ignoring the one who came and was broken to redeem it from sin. And one little qualifying statement I'll make as we get started here, because I'm going to make a lot of we statements. When I say we, I want us to remember something that's really important. God deals with people covenantally, okay? God deals with people covenantally. So I don't want want you to disassociate yourself from the sins of America because you're not personally given to those specific sins. I want you to realize that we all belong to a larger group of people Okay, that as a nation, inarguably, has heaped up guilt upon ourselves. It's who we are in the eyes of God. So that's what I'm saying when I say we a lot. We're included in that we, whether we're personally given to those same sins or not. And if we are, we need to confess that and remember that God is faithful to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. And the Holy Spirit never gives up on us. Even when we are unfaithful and go astray, he is always faithful and his steadfast love remains forever. Now I said last week, I'm gonna try to keep the same outline for each of these sermons within this series. So it'll go like this, okay? The lie, the truth, the church, and the challenge. The lie, just the the lie behind the idol the truth, what God's word says about it. And the church, what's the church's response? What should the church's response be? And then the challenge, what are we going to do about it? Is there anything we can do differently? All right, so we'll start with the lie first. The lie is, the purpose of life is the pursuit of comfort. That's the lie we're told to believe. The the purpose of life is the pursuit of comfort. The goal is to get as comfortable as you possibly can, and the winners are those who can stay that way. That's why you work hard and get good grades and look for the highest paying job, so you can get comfortable and stay that way. And then what happens is you, you get married to someone else who's believed the same lie as you, And then you suddenly make each other very uncomfortable. And then you really mess up, selfishly thinking, well, you know, if I want to have it all, i got to have a couple kids and a dog and a white picket fence. And then that really throws a wrench in the gears. And now you're frustrated, disappointed, let down, and running on a hamster wheel, chasing comfort that you will never find. You were told you could have it. 
You just work hard enough and set your mind to it, and you can have that holy grail of American comfort. That's the American lie. It's an illusion. The truth is, the reality is, most people run themselves ragged trying to get comfort in this world and are too busy pursuing it to ever really enjoy it, to experience it the way it was meant to be experienced by people made in God's own image. Idols always betray their worshipers. They never deliver what they promise. If comfort's what you're after, you won't find it. If Christ is what you're after, you will get him and he will provide you with that comfort that can only be found in him. So here's the truth. If you still got your Bible open, look at the verse just before the one we just read. Look at verse 10. Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Now contrast that with what we just read in verse 11. That's, that's what Proverbs does a lot, is, is these contrasts. Uh, contrasting the fool with the wise. The fool believes his wealth makes him safe. That's, that's what this language means, the, the, the safety of the, of the strong city and the high walls. You know? That's how you sleep at night. That's how you feel safe and secure. You're not out in the open. You know, sleeping in a tent somewhere where your enemy can come and get you. You're behind locked doors in a secure fortress. That's where the fool thinks he's safe and finds comfort. And so his life is about building stronger locks and higher walls. The righteous man sees the name of the Lord as his strong tower. He doesn't slave away trying to insulate himself from danger. He runs to the Lord as his refuge, and he knows he is safe wherever he goes. The truth is, y'all, only Jesus can offer you the comfort you're looking for, and it's a gift. As fallen creatures, we're always just so determined to earn things God says he gives away for free. Jesus gives us comfort. Do you believe that, though? Do you believe Jesus offers you comfort? You know, because here, here's where our American idol of comfort sort of clashes with the kind of comfort Jesus says he offers, right? Because we go to answer that question, do you believe Jesus offers you comfort? And our faces get kind of twisted up, like we're trying to solve some kind of riddle, right? And here's why. Here's why it's like you, you instinctively know the right answer to that question, but you have trouble believing it. Because we've not only believed the lie that comfort is the goal in life, we've believed comfort means ease. We've believed comfort means getting our way, at least most of the time. That it means people not getting in our way, at least most of the time. Being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it. We've been conditioned to think comfort is something selfish. And so as Christians, we know Jesus doesn't want us to be selfish. And so it's hard for us to believe Jesus offers us comfort. And so we're tempted to find it somewhere else. Maybe we've been pursuing the wrong kind of comfort. 
Maybe we're supposed to have been pursuing Christ and he will give us a comfort we didn't know we were looking for. And maybe that comfort is the opposite of selfishness. What do you think? You think it might look more like self-sacrifice? You think it might look so drastically different than the world's definition of comforts that it might even look like discomfort at times? Is it possible? There is comfort in doing what you were made to do and you weren't made to seek comfort. You were made to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You were made for a purpose and Jesus redeems us so that we can live in that purpose. And living in that purpose in a world still polluted by sin is incredibly uncomfortable. We should expect that. And instead of trying to escape the discomfort and insulate ourselves from it behind our high walls, we should just own it and accept it as part of our mission and purpose. And when it gets too hard and it gets too scary, we rest in the name of the Lord, who is our strong tower. We look to Jesus and his power and his mercy and his care, and he comforts us when we do. He knows we need to be comforted. He knows he's called us to risky business in the world. He says in Matthew 10, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot, cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And here's what he says to kind of to bolster that. Here's what he says to, to give you the confidence to go do the hard thing. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. How's that for comfort? The kind of Christianity early Christians were a part of was risky business. And that comfort was enough for them. The kind of Christianity the reformers were a part of was risky business. The, the Puritans that came over and uh, got America started were willing to lay their faces in the mud so that their children could cross over on their backs into a new world, a new and better world, one for Christ. And somewhere along the way in this country, we looked at it and said, eh, good enough. It's not time to rest, brothers and sisters. The church has rested too long. As we talked a lot about last week, society has suffered for it. So what is the church's response? The church's response to this, this idol of comfort. The church in America today, in a lot of ways, is a little more than embarrassing. Can we just acknowledge that? We love the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And we don't talk bad about what Jesus says is precious to him. But what I'm talking about specifically is the representation 
of the Christian church in America today. That's, that's what's embarrassing. That's not at all to say that the church is dead in America or that it's utterly ineffective. If that were true, y'all, we'd be way worse off than we are, okay? There are so many faithful churches and pastors in America giving Christians exactly what they need, and what they need is Jesus. They give them what they need and not what they want. Now, sadly, it's true that because we've been taught by our culture what we want is, is comfort, there are a lot of churches with a lot of people in them where the, the leaders in those churches are offering them that instead of Jesus. Churches that go out of the way to make worship a spectacle to be observed and enjoyed. And what's happened as a result is Christians have been trained to look for the biggest and best and brightest show in town. They've become critics and consumers instead of faithful followers of Christ who are devoted to Christ and to one another in the local church family and stirring one another up to good works. They leave on Sunday mornings feeling like they've, they've done all they needed to do. They've done their Christian duty, right? They checked in. Now they can go back to living life on their own terms, pursuing their worldly comforts until they come again next Sunday. Or not. It's just a take it or leave it sort of thing. That's not Christianity. That is idolatry. The church is supposed to make the world look more like the church. And instead, the church has made the church look more like the world in a lot of ways. The church took a page out of America's playbook about comfort and compromise, and now many churches, sadly, are just monuments of consumerism and idolatry. And again, that's not all churches. Don't make me keep saying that, okay? Hear what I'm saying. But generally, okay, Churches in this country got so busy trying to make a name for themselves that they stopped making a name for Jesus. And what that's bred, y'all, is Christians who feel more than they think, who talk more than they do, and who outsource the uncomfortable parts about walking the Christian life to people who won't do it either. Christians have outsourced their Christian duties to the professionals in the church. The ministry we're all supposed to be a part of as a priesthood of believers united in Christ has shrunk down to a narrow little segment of people who feel called vocationally to do it, and we just pay them to do it. And if we don't feel called to do it, if it's not our career, then we just don't have to. We don't have to do it. Like it or not, that's largely the kind of Christian the church in America has bred. No sense of duty at all. Not even a sense of duty to their own families. You know, parents will get around to making sure their children hear the gospel just as soon as the church gets around to setting up something for them to drop their kid at, off, you know, once a week. The church in America, by and large, has allowed Christians to get so comfortable and so Christians have withdrawn from the fight. We've traded the discomfort of being salt and light in the world for the comfort of being quiet in America. It's just easier on us that way. We can get by easier that way. 
And we can all see the results that quiet, comfortable Christianity has gotten us, right? We'd all come up with the same list of evils we observe in the world. And so the church's response to the idol of comfort should be repentance. Let me explain what I mean when I say that. I don't see that happening on a large scale, okay? I don't see us calling an uh, ecumenical council like in the days of old and everybody gathering around the round table and hashing all this stuff out and coming to a, a unified decision on these things. I just don't think this is going to happen like a light switch moment at a, at a, at a Christian conference or a come-to-Jesus meeting. Um, not in this country, right? Because we're all just so focused on individualism and freedom of expression and how we feel about things rather than being stuck on the Word of God. So... It's not going to be this light switch moment. We can't look out there for something to do it. We can't rely on the church as an institution to somehow magically wave a wand over all this. No, it's going to have to crop up in the lives of God's people in the church. It's going to have to be a mighty work of the Holy Spirit. It has to happen in the lives of those truly united to God by faith in Jesus, those who are born of the Spirit and carried by the Spirit into greater submission to our Lord. That's the only way it's going to come about. So here's the challenge. Will you stop pursuing comfort as though it's your goal in life? Man, it's hard to hear. It's hard to say. Especially as someone who wrestles with that in my own life, recognizing ways in which, you know, I, I'm pursuing comfort to ultimately... It's hard to hear, but hopefully we all came here this morning hoping to leave changed men and women, expecting God to reach us where we are. Hopefully none of us came uh, wanting to leave the way that we came in. We came wanting the word of God to get a hold of us and to be reminded that we have a great Savior whose sacrifice was sufficient not only to remove our guilt of sin, but to free us from our bondage to it working in us by the power of the Spirit to remove that indwelling sin that remains. So if you're hiding an idol of comfort, if you know this morning, as much as you hate to admit it, you've been building your life around pursuing comfort more than pursuing Christ. You need to come to grips with it. And just go ahead and skip the denial stage, right? Just skip right over the denial stage. Just confess it. Call it what it is. And ask God to free you from that bondage to it. And he will do it. He will do it. To free you from that bondage to the idol of comfort. And that's what it is. It is. It's bondage. And listen, if that's you, here's the good news for you. You can change. You can change. You're not stuck where you are. God meets us where we are, but he never leaves us where we are. He doesn't leave us to ourselves. The power of God is at work in you. That's good news. Be encouraged. But here's a warning, too. The more you just get out of your own way and turn yourself over to him, the more you will find him using you, and it will probably be uncomfortable. <laughs> it will put a sharp edge on you, and it takes some friction to get that edge there. This Jesus, whose name is our strong tower and our refuge, who gives us comfort, who is the source of all comforts, he will put you in uncomfortable places in awkward conversations. 
But the solution isn't to dodge that discomfort and to insulate yourself from it. The solution is to rest in Christ in the midst of it. You know, my mind immediately goes to Psalm 23 where David says he, he prepares a table for me in front of my enemies. Right? You can imagine being on a battlefield, like seeing the crowd, the, the, all the, the army coming at you, ready for them. And God's like, no, 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 spreading out the tablecloth, right? Grab a seat. Grab a seat, feast, enjoy. Even in the midst of all this that's going on, right? In the midst of this great danger. Why? How can I have, how can I be so comfortable? Because Christ has you. He is your good shepherd. That's where the action happens, y'all. That's where the growth occurs, outside of your comfort zone. That's where we've been called to live, and we find Jesus there. We see him for the strong tower he is. We know our need of the comfort that only he can supply us with, and we go running for it. And that's the only kind of comfort you can expect, and it's good enough. Jesus is enough. He's enough to comfort you. He sustains us. And if we don't believe it, it's because we've allowed a counterfeit comfort to please us. We've been satisfied with too low a version of comfort. The riches that are ours in Christ are so much greater than anything this world has to offer. And when we become convinced of that, y'all, we see what a silly thing it is to build a life around pursuing worldly comforts. We begin to believe crazy things like Paul did. If God is for us, who can be against us? Right. What can man do to me? We're being killed all the day long, regarded as sheep led to the slaughter, and still be convinced and have certainty that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. When our hearts give no quarter to idols because our love for God is just so big, there's no room. We have the courage to be salt and light. And the kind Jesus meant, right? Not the kind many Christians think of today, right? Not just be real nice and pleasant to be around. That's not what Jesus meant. It's not. Be salt. Help good things grow and stop bad things from growing. Be light, expose darkness, call evil evil, command people by the authority of Jesus Christ to repent of their sin and to believe in the gospel. That's risky business. But it's business we can be a part of if we're looking for comfort in the right place. The name of the Lord is our strong tower. All the other stuff is just high walls in our imagination. We think it protects us. And you know what? It, it kind of does in the short term, right? Maybe in some real tangible ways it does, but all of it pales in comparison to what is already ours in Christ Jesus forever. And if we really captured that in the church in America, if we really, if we really got it, we stopped trying to make God look like Disney dad in the churches, We'd have Christians who look more like soldiers instead of cartoon characters. What a difference we could make. 
The last little point of application, and I'll close. And I close with this one, y'all, because the older I get, the more I'm realizing, like, I'm not going to get it all done. <laughs> you ever feel like you got a great burden? You know, like God has given you a burden and, and a job to do and a task to do, and you're excited about it. You want to be faithful to do it, but you just know you're not going to get it all done. There's no way I won't come close to accomplishing what it is I believe God wants me to accomplish and I should accomplish in this life. It's not going to happen. But then I look at my six boys. I'm like, there it is. That's how God does this. He's, he keeps it going and going and going and going and going even when we're dead and gone. And I think to myself, that's a worthy investment of my time as a parent. That's something that'll last. I might not get my to-do list done this week, next month, this year, or in my lifetime, but God knows what he's doing. Jesus is on his throne. And he's working in my life and in the lives of those around me and in the lives of my children to bring about his purposes in the world. And my attention is drawn to that. I thank him for it. And I think that's a worthy investment of my time as a parent, not making them as comfortable as possible. Now, we want that to some, some extent as parents, right? And that's okay, because we have a Father in heaven who delights in giving good gifts to his children. And so it's right and proper and appropriate for us to want the same for our children. But we should not be teaching them to sacrifice on the altar of comfort in this life. So here it is, last point. Prepare your children to suffer, parents. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? I mean, only in America where life is about seeking comfort. That sounds crazy. Prepare them to suffer. Make sure they know the only true superhero that's ever lived is their suffering savior who sacrificed himself. Make sure they know that the only true princess is the bride of Christ that he laid down his life for in order to rescue from the worst of all villains. Make sure they know that in God's world, winning looks a lot like suffering. Suffering is how winning is done and prepare them so they don't flinch. Don't teach them to seek out comfort in the paths of least resistance in this life. Don't let them become America's disciples. Teach them to laugh in the face of evil and to hold nothing back from Jesus who held nothing back from them. He is our strong tower and our refuge. Jesus is the rock of our salvation. And we're enabled, y'all, by his sacrifice and by the power of the Spirit to stand upright before the face of God as sons and daughters and heirs. And if that's true, and it is. The comforts of this world don't look so shiny anymore. They don't seem worthy of our devotion. They're not a high enough goal. They're not enough for us to make our lives about. Jesus is. Jesus is. Believe in him. Trust in him. Know that by his grace you have received mercy and forgiveness and everlasting life. And may that be enough to comfort 
all of us here this morning. May that be enough to motivate us to live a life that's not about seeking comfort, but about serving him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. We thank you that the word came and became flesh and dwelt among us. That, Lord, you have given us a redeemer in your son, Jesus. That he is our strong tower, our place of refuge. God, that while we were still sinners, you sent your son to die in our place. That we could be forgiven. That you would make us a new creation. That we may live for your glory to please you forever. And God, that by your spirit, you never do give up on us. We thank you for that. We need that encouragement. And I pray, Lord, that we would know it as we leave this place. Because once we leave here, there are going to be temptations this week. There are going to be distractions. There are going to be things that compete with you for our affections, for our attention. Lord, we know we live in a fallen world. And we ask for your protection. We ask you to help us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That you would do it for your glory, for our benefit and the benefit of those around us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.